You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Hey, Burley Church of Christ online. Um, wherever you're joining us from, it's so great to have you this morning. Um, it's been a little bit different the last few weeks. Um, as you know, we, um, we're, we're shifting, we're considering, we're thinking, um, we're in a real season of discernment, I have a sense of, and we're asking God, what do we do with the opportunities ahead? And so we had part one last week, and uh, we had so much content, or so much to consider, I've, I've split it into two on the spot. <laughs> and we're now entering part two. And what we're doing, we're, we've got this description of the early church. Um, a, a church filled, a group of people filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're exploring what they held high, the values they held high. Not the rituals, not the prescription, not the law, <laughs> but the values they held high. And then we're applying it and considering what it looks like in our families, in our marriages, in our friendship groups, and then, of course, as a whole as the church. And so we're going to continue. So if you weren't with us last week, quickly, I won't tell, go back and watch week one because you need kind of need week one to have and consider week two. But let's continue to look through the values. But let me read our main passage. This is out of Acts 2.42. Spirits come. It's brought unity. It's brought power. And this is what they do with that. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. We explored this value last week of truth and practice. And we want to continue with the next part here in this passage. And it talks about after the, it says that we've got this high regard, of course, for the truth, the word of God. But the word of God doesn't stand alone. It's not an exam. It needs to be practical. There's practice. They practiced, challenged each other. And so here's what they continued to do. Here's, here's what else it looked like. It says um, they broke bread. I want to be super clear here right from the start what that means. They did not have a high Anglican or Catholic service. If you're high Anglican or a Catholic, welcome. That's fine. It's not a, not a bad thing. But this is not an untouchable ritual. In fact, that stands against what I believe the Bible says here clearly. It definitely stands against what Church of Christ set out to do in its formation. This is a picture of a good meal together. This is a picture of one of those meals where you're around a table and there's laughter, sometimes tears, where there's food in your stomach. Your soul feels like it's with trusted company. And you remember the unity. You have gratitude. There's a sense of joy and peace, even in storms, even in hard times. And you remember what Jesus has given through the symbols of his body and blood. 
Jesus didn't take the common elements found in most houses at that time of baked bread and wine. He didn't take elements that were reachable by nearly every single person, nearly every meal, so that we could turn it into a religious ceremony. Otherwise, he would have chosen lint, dark chocolate with specks of gold baked into it. In, uh, not, not basic bread and wine. He chose things that were common to everyone so everybody could remember what he did for everybody. Because more than a space, more than an act, more, more than these symbols, the early believers, the followers of Jesus, knew that this was about resetting about centering themselves, about spiritually being fed. That it was about remembering that Jesus had this covered, whatever they faced, that Jesus had made this possible, that he was in control of the storms, that he was in control of our life. And so we would eat, remember that, and then we'd be able to feed, both physically, we see here, and spiritually. We'd be able to, able to release and free others in what Jesus has done. We find our rest, our identity in Jesus through this reflection, so that we can live up, live, live up, so we can live and offer the same to others. We can offer the same common unity in Jesus to everyone. Again, this group did this in their home. They practiced it together in small and large gatherings. And they met real people's needs. I love, love that the church has an extremely practical feeding ministry, both in the op shop and food help. It's one of my favorite, proudest things about this church is that I love, 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 love. I've read and love so many times. I love this. That us as a church both have ways of teaching and feeding. Um, ourselves, but we also go out and feed others practically and spiritually. So my, my second question, but first question for this morning, to ask your small gatherings, your tables, is, is ask yourself this question. Are you eating and feeding, both physically and spiritually? A table that grows and goes is a table that eats, centered around what Jesus has done, and then takes that with them and feeds. This means some of our small tables will set out wine and bread. And you may have done that this morning. Others um, may share a full meal together, including the symbols in that. For those that run groups that have um, believers and non-believers in it, it may not be having communion straight away. It might just be simply saying grace over a snack or coffee or meal. Either way, I'm encouraging you to consider your tables, your families, your, your table units should have a moment to seek, to be fed, to be gracious, to, be, to have gratitude and to consider going out with that. A table that grows and goes as it eats and feeds. I encourage you to ask yourself that question this morning. On a super practical level, if this wasn't practical enough, uh, 
every successful, in my experience of around seven years of doing, I guess, professional small tables in the sense that I'm paid to help run them, um, every table that has been the strongest, every small group I've seen that has succeeded has had a hospitality element to it. I almost could guarantee, it's not a direct rule, but when I walked in a place and saw food on the table, it was almost like the better the food or the more generous people were at doing food meant they were more likely to share their lives together, their homes, their depth, their Jesus. And so it's super important. You don't have to have a banquet each week um, or when you meet, but it's super important to have an element of eating and feeding. Let's continue. And all who believed, it says in Acts 2.44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This can be misleading, this line, all things in common. <laughs> it almost gives the vibe that you say, you get the early disciples and you say, all right, everybody, what's your favorite color? And they all would go red because they had everything in common. <laughs> That's not what that means. It means they had a common mission. They had different interests. They liked different things, but they had a common goal together, a common reason to gather, rich, poor, social status. doesn't matter. They had a common reason to gather, a common mission. And because of that, you see, because they knew their common goal, they were extremely generous. Yes, we just talked about they fed. They had communion, the body of Christ was given, and then they gave everything. They gave everything they had to make more students, to bring the kingdom further. At a common purpose. And it says in 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and again, breaking bread in their, in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, again, eating and feeding, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved, those that would start walking with Jesus. Something really interesting that gets another misconception here in this passage is that they went to the temple every week. So it's easy to confuse this. Oh, yeah, of course they went to church. But that's actually not what it says because the temple was for those still practicing Jewish culture, Judaism, those that were practicing Jews, that went to worship Yahweh but didn't have that connection through Jesus. And so, to be honest, Christianity has never, ever actually spoken about a holy building. Jews have had their synagogues and their temples. The Israelites had their tabernacle. The church had, for Catholics, Muslims have their mosques. But actually Jesus says, we are the carriers of the Holy Spirit now. It's the community. It's the fellowship. It's the body. We are the church. There is no talking about a holy building. They were now Christians gathered in a common mission. And so their common mission was to go to where their friends and family was, the temple, and do what? Tell them about Jesus. That was a mission trip every week. 
It's like us going to the center of Burley and sharing the gospel, sharing a meal together and sharing the gospel with our community. That's what they were doing. They, they had plans. They had strategy. Side note, I have to say this. I do love our building. <laughs> I do love all the things we can do through it. I love the way we can gather through it. I love the song services. I love the, the glimmer of light. I love the op shop. I love the building. But it's not holy ground. Not defined by the Bible, at least. It's a phenomenal tool of our mission. We, the community, are the carriers of the Holy Spirit. So if you're down at your local bakery with a couple of people breaking bread, or breaking bread at bakery, then the church is down at the bakery. If you're in your home right now, the church is in your home right now. They had this common mission. And so the question I'm going to ask you, what's your table's mission? What's your small table's mission? What are you set out to do? What's the purpose of gathering together? Let me give you some practical examples. That's a pretty big question. And it could actually be a massive mind shift for some of us in our church. If you're a family in Varsity Lakes, what I'm asking you to consider, what I'm asking you to talk to about your wife, husband, your family is what's your family's mission? Who do you connect with? If you're a teacher, if you're a lawyer, if you're in marketing, if you're a fireman, if you're a policeman, if you're retired, if you're a farmer, if you're a business owner, what's your mission? What's your small collection of friends? What's your missional purpose? And what does that look like? For this early church, it was going down to the temple. It was going locally, although some of them went further. Paul eventually, obviously, getting there to Rome. Your mission may be to invite more people into your small table and eventually grow it and pray that it splits and splits apart in a healthy way and grows and grows and grows to become multiple small tables. What a great mission. That's a great mission. For some, it might be to connect with certain genders or age groups. For some, it might be to connect with a location. You might be praying about a certain group of people you could connect with. Do you understand what a common mission in your small tables will do for you? To see yourself as sent. Whether it's a marriage, a family, a small or large table, if, if, if you don't have a mission, guess what happens? Suddenly, if you don't have a purpose, suddenly your family becomes about needing more stuff, filling your home with more luxuries. Uh, it, it becomes about, uh, it, it doesn't become about making disciples, um, but it becomes about worshipping your kids, making sure they have the best of everything. In marriages, you start looking at someone else. You start looking outside your marriage for fulfilment because your marriage has lost its mission, its purpose. For church gatherings, if we lose our mission, if our small table loses our mission, suddenly you become about how cold or warm the communion temperature was. Or the pews suddenly become a bit hard or a bit soft. Suddenly it's too loud. It's too cold. It's too hot. It's too windy in church. You name it. That's what it becomes about if you lose sight of the mission. 
If we don't have a divine direction, don't have to, you don't have to map the whole thing out, but just have a purpose. If we don't have that, then we aren't the church anymore. We're just a club and not even a really good one. (laughs) The church without a mission is just a club. Your small table without a mission is just a club. Your family without some sort of mission is just end up being a club. In this description of the early church, we see a group of people with a mission in every aspect of their lives. It's both spirit-led, it's a mission that can happen on that day, a conversation that you're led into in the workplace, but there's also a predictable element about some of their mission. They meant to go to the temple every week. What do I mean by that is? Sometimes you are just spontaneously generous. You see, maybe you see a mum, a young mum going through the grocery line and the kids don't have shoes on and you just pay for their groceries. You didn't plan that day to be spontaneously generous. You didn't plan that day to be on mission. You're spirit-led. But then the flip side is when you meet with someone for coffee to talk to them about what's going on in their life and you hope to bring the spirit into that conversation, You don't accidentally meet up with them for coffee. (laughs) It has to be planned. There's elements of predictable patterns and there's elements of spirit-led. It's kind of a tension there. And so that's kind of my third question to ask ourselves and the second for this morning is does your small table, does your family and does your group of friends, whatever that looks like, do you have predictable patterns and are you spirit-led? I'm not going to accidentally invite my friends, the males in my street, to Palmy Night on Thursday night. I may need to go say hello to someone. I may need to take this passage. I may need to go down to the local temple and talk to them and break bread with them and introduce them to Jesus. I need to be intentional, missional, predictable. Everybody's been asked to do this that's got the spirit, that's, got, that's been fed and got something to feed. Our large gathering isn't going to accidentally reach burly heads. It's got to be intentional. Our, when we get together, it's got to be welcoming. It's got to be predictable and missional. A table that goes and gives where the spirit leads and in predictable patterns. My third point, second point for today is... The church is going to look like, our small tables are going to look like tables that go and give where the Spirit leads and in predictable patterns. So to recap the last two weeks, this is an invitation, church, to discern and to consider. It's to consider the bits that we're, the things that we've, put down during COVID that we're not going to pick back up. That's not helpful. That weren't relevant, that weren't missional, that weren't intentional. And it's an invitation to pick up some deeper values that we see in Acts 2.42. An invitation to return to the power, to the the daily people adding to their numbers daily. (laughs) An invitation to go deeper. So let's have these conversations. 
Hopefully we've already had these conversations in the last two weeks. Hopefully you've had conversations with your wife or husband. Hopefully if you've got a young family and you're establishing that, hopefully you've had conversations with them about what it could look like to uh, have a practice of truth and practice, to feed and eat, and to be spirit-led and have a missional purpose as a family. And for those that meet in groups on a Sunday, for those that meet in groups on a Thursday night, for those that meet in groups at any time, to, to ask this top week or to consider what it looks like to have those values. Lots to wrestle with, church. Lots that's super practical. I understand that. But this is the season to consider this. And, man, it's exciting. <laughs> it's exciting of what could come out of this. Let's, uh, let's pray. Let's wrestle. There's worksheets involved with this that I've sent out. Love those to be sent back. Love for questions as we wrestle and we look like what the new normal, what it looks like to come back stronger as a group of small tables that come together as a large table and see people following Jesus and transforming lives. Let me pray. Father, I just... Lots of detail in the last two weeks of sermons. Lots of practical detail, Lord. For some, this will be exciting. For some, this will be confusing. For some, this will be scary, Lord. I just pray that whatever is from you, Lord, whatever is from your word, from your spirit, it will sit heavy on us. It will annoy us. It will bug us. It will stir within us, Lord. That may we seriously see ourselves as sent people, sent groups, sent tables, a sent church. And that may we deeply uh, discern what that looks like for our individual and small tables. Thank you that you are a living God, that you are moving amongst us. And that even in this really confusing and hard season, you are stirring. Be with us in our questions now. Be with us in our phone conversations, our Facebook messenger conversations, our whatever conversations. Stir within those. And may we start to develop some sort of plan, strategy and mission. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.